together. Lord, open our ears to you. Thank you for what you have given to us. In your word, you have revealed yourself to us. And you have treasures for us. You have help for us. You have wisdom for us. And so, Lord, as we look to uh, the pages of your, of your holy word, plant it deep in our hearts this morning for your purposes and glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me say early, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, on Thursday, and thereabouts, uh, many of you are going to gather around uh, tables and, and dining rooms, maybe uh, in restaurants, and on those tables there's going to be lots of food. You're going to be surrounded uh, with friends and loved ones. And uh, I'm sure that you will take some moments to give thanks to the Lord. In today's text, we find the Apostle Paul in the midst of a storm. And we catch a glimpse of him with some bread, surrounded by strangers, and giving thanks to the Lord. Have you ever gotten caught in a real storm? I mean, when I say real storm, I'm not talking like today's meteorological standards, you know, which is like a little drop of rain and we think the world's going to flood. I mean, a real storm, like a hurricane. Anyone ever been in a hurricane? I'm just curious. Okay. Tornado? Okay. Blizzard? Okay. I'm not talking these apocalypse, these snowpocalypses they're talking about these days, okay? I mean, like a, a real blizzard. Um, you know, that, uh, that, that perhaps is, is, is threatening to your well-being. Um, my, my mom uh, told a childhood story of one time when, when she was young. They were, they were actually moving, uh, I think it was somewhere from Wisconsin to North Dakota. And uh, there in, in uh, that little old car, they, they hit a blizzard heading across North Dakota, and she, she told how her brother literally had to get out of the car, walk in front of the car to make sure that they didn't drive off the road. So there's, uh, there, there's, there's storms. Uh, I, I haven't experienced those storms. I haven't been in a hurricane, haven't been in a tornado, uh, or anything like, like that. Um, storms can be frightening. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, I, was, I was terrified of, of tornadoes. I never saw one. We were never in one. Uh, but I just had this, I just had this, this fear in, in my heart whenever, you know, we lived in Southern Maryland and whenever we, we heard anything about uh, tornado w- uh, watches and, and the sky would get dark, I would just get really anxious. I, I, I actually attribute it to the, the Xenia tornado because I was, I was young and remember, I remember hearing about that because in our church there in Maryland, we had, we had uh, students from the church at Cedarville. Uh, so it was, it was really big news. And I, I, just, I just remember, you know, so any of these, these threats of tornadoes, you know, were, made me uneasy. I, I couldn't, I really couldn't even watch the opening scene of The Wizard of Oz. It was just that, uh, that bad. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But storms, storms. You know, if, if you've ever been in one of those, one of those kinds of storms, um, probably the words coming out of your mouth were, were more like, Help me, Jesus, instead of thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Storms do that. 
Well, in Acts 27, we find Paul caught in a storm. And it's a storm that's going to head for, for shipwreck. And what does he do in that storm? I guess what I want you to really, really look at and remember this morning as, as he is in the midst of this storm, we are told in verse 35 that he took bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. What a picture. In that storm, that literal storm, Paul is giving thanks to God. You know, storms can be fierce. I mean, this one described for us in Acts 27 is fierce. Luke, Luke is just a master recorder of, of history and documenting. I mean, it's like he has the ship's log in front of him, and he is recounting that for us. And he recounts a fierce storm. I was reading this storm again, and it reminded me uh, of, of, of a movie, uh, 2000, called The Perfect Storm. You ever saw that? It was based on, on a real weather event from 1990, uh, 1991. And uh, in that weather event, there was, there was a, a hurricane out in the Atlantic, a very powerful hurricane out in the Atlantic that was, that was sort of moving to, to the north and a, and a little bit there to the west. Uh, but then there was also a warm front that began to make its way up from the south, and it was drifting up along the, the eastern seaboard. And then to cap it all off, there was a, there was a, a cold front from, from Canada that, that swept down. And all three of these converged there just off the, in the North Atlantic in, in, in a storm that they, they, asked, they, they named it the perfect storm. In the climactic scene of that, of that movie, there was, uh, there's this sword fishing boat, Andrea Gale, uh, a, real, a real boat. It was caught in the storm uh, and desperately trying to navigate out of that storm. And in this scene, Captain Billy Tyne, he, he gets the boat turned around. And, and, and so there's some, there's some hope because if he can get the boat turned around, they, there's hopes of being able to, to head out of the storm. But he's not able to do it. And in that scene, he, he turns to his crewmate and says, she's not going to let us out. Storm was not going to let go of that boat. And so they attempt to, to drive the boat over this, this mammoth wave, but it, it crests before they can get to the top, and it overturns the boat, uh, taking the crew of all six below. I was thinking about that as I was reading this this, uh, in Acts 27, this, this storm that, that Luke describes here in the life of Paul, it, it began as a short sail. So on this little map, this, just to show you where, where, where it happened, I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're in, in, in Crete, and they'd already sailed over to there, and, and, and the text tells us it was, it was just going to be a little bit of a short sail. There's just along the southern, the southern coast of Crete, there's a little green line. They, they were going to set out from Fairhaven. They were just going to go up to, to, to Phoenix, and they were, gonna, they were just going to port there for the winter. So it was just going to be this short little, I don't know, maybe, maybe about 60, 60 miles sail along the southern coast of Greece, but it turned into a two-week ordeal that ended in shipwreck. And, and you can see just in estimations, this, this wind came down, you can see how far it pushed that, that ship down that they were on. 
Luke uses these descriptions. He talks about this tempestuous headwind, a, a typhoon. It was a, it was a hurricane-like wind called a, a, a northeaster. And, and this typhoon, it, it swept down on them unexpectedly. Coming off of, off of Crete, there's this mountain ridge that sort of goes through the middle of that island. And, and so these, these winds just swept down off that island and, and out into the sea. And here's this boat trying to, trying to stay along the southern course. And it just, it just pushed the, that, that boat right out into sea. He says the ship was caught. You know, the storm took control of the ship, and all they could do was really to, to surrender to the force of this, of this storm. So, so Luke says they, they, just, they just let her drive. It had caught them, and this storm wasn't going to let go of them. And so it, it drives them southward, and, and they try to shore up the boat, and they lighten the load. And, and, and Luke says they, they were afraid of, of running aground of what he calls the Sirtis Sands, just, just north of, uh, of Africa there, still several hundred miles away. But it tells you their concern how strong this wind was. This, this wind was blowing the ship down to that area, which would be sort of the Mediterranean Sea version of the Bermuda Triangle. Shipwrecks down there. Luke says that neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, which means they really had lost all navigation. They really couldn't track where they were. And Luke tells us that this went on for, for 14 days. Can you imagine being caught in something like that for two weeks? And he says, and all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. You know it's a bad storm when the seasoned crew are desperate, and they've run out of every option they know of what to do. Yeah, these storms can be fierce. Storms often catch us by surprise, like this one did. Maybe not totally a surprise to Paul, and, and, and you know, those that sailed the Mediterranean knew the risks, but Paul had advised against this voyage, you read that earlier in that chapter as, as the, you know, the plan was, let's set out from here. We're going we're gonna to go and we're going to harbor there. We'll stay there for the winter. And Paul said, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, why, why would Paul be rendering his opinion? Well, Paul's a pretty experienced seafarer by this point in his life. The book of Acts alone records 11 voyages of Paul. In Acts, if you, if you look at those voyages and, and track the miles, he, he had traveled by this point over 3,500 miles by sea. Um, Paul, by his own testimony, writes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 that he experienced three shipwrecks, and that's before this one. <laughs> Paul is no novice when it comes to sailing on the Mediterranean Sea. He's saying, guys, I don't think we ought to do this. But they didn't listen. Uh, the, the, the centurion who was in charge of Paul, the Roman officer in, in whose keeping Paul had been placed, listened to the captain of this ship and, and, and uh, the owner of the ship. The owner certainly has some business interests in mind. There's cargo to be delivered. There's money to be made. And they said, we need to go for it. So we're just gonna, what we're going to do is we're just going to do this short little sail there. We'll, we'll hug the coast. We'll get over to Phoenix and we'll put in there for the winter. But it didn't work out that way. Didn't work out that way. Those winds swept down and they were wilder than anything they'd encountered. Took them a little bit by surprise. You've probably, at some point in your life, been surprised by some storms. Not all of them are like that. Um, 
Sometimes we see storm clouds gathering on the horizon. You see people that you care about making bad choices. You see decisions they make, and in your mind you're saying, I just don't think this is going to turn out very well. We see our nation making bad choices. Other times, those storms come in as a total surprise. We, 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 give, we are given no warning whatsoever. And, and if you will, in that proverbial sense, those winds just sweep down from the mountain unexpectedly, and it's like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, storms do that. Sometimes they really take you by surprise. And you know, these storms stir up fear like, like this one did in, in, in the story here in Acts 27. As you read through and, and, and we're following through, you, you, you see them and you can envision them desperately trying to do everything they knew to do, but everything they knew to do didn't help them. And there's evidence, there's a little bit of desperation here and there. Because storms, storms stir up fear. And, and when fear strikes, and this is just true in life, when, when fear strikes, we tend, we tend to like engage in survival mode. Okay, we go from just sort of living life to I got to survive. And, and a survival mentality is, is very different. You see, fear will drive us to look for help anywhere that seems to offer us some kind of hope. That's why when, when we're fearful, we're vulnerable. Fear causes us, if you will, it sort of preps us to put our faith in false hopes because, you know, in that fear, we're, we're looking for some glimmer of hope, some word of hope. And, and, and if it catches our eye or catches our ear, we're attracted to it. That's why sometimes in fears we can fall for ponzi schemes and we can be attracted to that miracle drug it's it's just going to do everything that that needs to happen to you and and if you you know if you hold your breath for 20 seconds and stand on your head while you're doing it it will take care of this problem for you and phds will do that <laughs> because there's just a little bit something about us that that sometimes can become a bit i mean bizarre why? Because we're looking for hope. We're, we're trying to grab some kind of hope. And, and, and anywhere, anywhere we sense it or see it, we, we'll, we'll go after it. And even as Christians, honestly, as Christians, fear often gets the best of us. And when fear begins to get the best of us, we begin to look in the wrong places for hope. So storms, they, they stir up fear. And, and then these storms, then can, can, they, they can rock you into a state of hopelessness, like this one does here in, in Acts chapter 27. You see there in, in, in verse 20, Luke, Luke is writing, he says, you know, after they've, been, they've, they've done everything they've known to do, and he says they're all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So Luke is here traveling with Paul. 
And Luke includes himself and Paul and anyone else who may have been in his traveling party. He includes himself and Paul with the crew and with the passengers. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Remember, as I mentioned, Paul had been apprehensive about this journey. Back in verse 10, man, I I, I perceive, (laughs) he's aware of the season, and and not only that, in in the preceding verses, we were already told that, that this first leg of their journey, they'd had a tough time with it. I perceive, Paul says, that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Paul obviously has some concerns about getting on that ship and setting sail. And here they've gotten to this situation where nothing is, is, is riding the boat. Nothing is getting them where they need to be. We've given up hope that we would be, say, that we'd be saved. I, I know it's maybe a little strange to sort of put Paul in, in that frame of mind here on this, this, this boat. Not Paul. I mean, Paul's, Paul's our guy. Nothing rattles Paul. Nothing. You know, you can do anything you want and nothing rattles Paul. But I, 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 would, I would get a sense of, of what's happening in the, in the telling of this story that Paul really doesn't want to die yet. Okay? That doesn't mean he isn't ready to die, okay? Don't mistake that. But, but it seems that, that he, he, he really doesn't want to. Well, what do you mean? I mean, Paul's the guy who said, you know, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, you know, and man, I'm looking forward to being Jesus. Yeah, 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 he, he did say that. He actually, he actually isn't going to write those words a little bit later. And, and so, yes, yeah, Paul, Paul had that kind of rock-solid faith, but, but I'm, I'm reading the story here, and, and, and he's, he's, he's not necessarily wanting to die yet, <laughs> And I only bring that up for this reason. Don't don't imagine Paul as some fearless superhero Christian. There are no superhero Christians. None. Now, there there may be believers, there may be Christians that that are heroes to us, okay, that, that, that we look up to. That, that really encourage us in our walk with Christ. And if you will, they, they, they help us, they help blaze that pathway. And, and, and they're the ones that really encourage us to, to keep on. So, so yeah, we, we, we look to them. And, and, and yeah, there are, there, are heroes, there are heroes in the faith. There are no superhero Christians. Paul would have never described himself that way. And the reason I say that is if Paul is a superhero Christian, then it becomes easy for us to excuse ourselves for not living he did, because after all, I'm not a superhero like Paul was. You know, if I was a superhero, then I could do what superheroes do, but I'm not a superhero. None of us are. Not even Paul. Not even Paul. So he boarded a ship he really didn't want to board because he sensed impending disaster. And sure enough, his prediction was coming true. And after many days of this, he's thinking along with everyone else, 
we're not going to make it. Maybe you've been there. This, this sense of hopelessness that, that whatever it is in, in life, that, that this storm, it just sort of really begins to rock your boat and begins to rock you into this state of hopelessness. I'm not going to make it. Maybe you've been there. Let me just be honest with you for a moment. Not that I haven't been before. Okay, that's probably not a good thing for a speaker to say. May I continue to be honest with you? <laughs> uh, as many of you know, uh, we this year started Grief Share Ministry. It's been meeting Sunday evenings, and so Deb and I have had the, uh, the, the privilege of being a part of that. And um, one of the sessions uh, several weeks ago, in that, in that session on the video, there was a testimony uh, of a couple who had lost their, their high school daughter in a car accident. Some of you have been there. Some of you, some of you know what it's like to lose a child. And that night, after after Deb and I got home, I was I was lying in bed there that night, and we were talking, and I said, I don't know if I could endure that. I don't know if I could endure that. I don't know what I do. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been at, at, at that place in your life, and maybe you're even there this morning. You're saying, "God, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. I'm not strong enough." I'm not going to survive this. Storms do that to you. They just, sometimes you see it coming and often you don't and it just sweeps in and it rocks your boat and you're saying, I'm not going to make it. But here's what's beautiful and hopeful in this story. This fierce, surprising, fearful storm, these storms that push you to the brink of hopelessness, are opportunities for you to personally experience and publicly demonstrate God's sufficiency. Like this one did for Paul. You see, as as the story continues... We see that God personally reassures Paul. God, God sends an angel to him. One of those nights, I mean, the, the, the things are bad. And God sends an angel with a message and says to Paul there in verse 24, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Now, what's that all about? Well, You go back about four chapters in Acts and you'll read about Paul having been arrested in Jerusalem. He was arrested for for preaching Christ. And uh, 
and he was sort of put on trial there with the Jewish authorities for, for the sake of Paul's life. The Roman authorities moved him out of Jerusalem to a safer place. But even then, there, where, where, where Paul's life was threatened back in Jerusalem, the Lord came to Paul then and said to Paul, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So four chapters prior to this story in chapter 27, the Lord has come to Paul and encouraged and said, Paul, you're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. That was God's plan. Paul, that plan is still on. You're going to make it to Rome. Now, the angel's message was not a rebuke to Paul for forgetting that. It was a reminder of reassurance to him. You see, the storm really was not a change in God's plan for Paul. The storm was part of God's plan for Paul. You're going to make it. And we're told that Paul believed the message that the Lord had given to him. The storm had beaten on his faith, but his faith in God's word withstood the storm. And because of that, Paul became a voice of hope aboard that ship there in the midst of that storm. He believed so strongly in the reliability of the word of God. He believed so strongly in the sovereignty of God and in the providence of God in the affairs of life that he could look beyond the desperation. I mean, no one on board thinks they're going to make it. And Paul could look beyond that desperation and against all evidence, he could anticipate the good that God was going to bring about from what he was going through. When we're in storms, our first reaction is often to not rest in God's sovereignty. Often our first reaction is to panic in the difficulty. But storms become an opportunity to rest in God's assurance. And God filled Paul with hope. How, listen, how, how will we ever know the comfort and the reassurance that God brings in storms without a storm? And like that angel brought that message of hope and encouragement to Paul, God still has a message of hope for us this morning. Not delivered by an angel, but declared in his inspired word. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. That sounds like a storm to me. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Yeah, these storms are fearful. Listen, immerse yourself in God's message. Immerse yourself in it. 
Then as a result of God's personal ministry to Paul, notice that Paul publicly ministers hope to everyone else on board that ship. And 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 what's interesting is as you watch what begins to unfold, you will see that Paul, that in these verses, he actually begins to move into the center of the action. And here, as God has come and ministered to, to Paul this reassurance and this hope, you find Paul transitioning really from a captive on board the ship to the functioning captain of the ship. Because all of a sudden, Paul is the one who's given instructions. And you know what? Everyone's listening to him. Everyone's following what he's instructing them to do. And so what he does there, verse 25, he calls everyone to take, to take courage. I mean, everyone else on board has given up hope. Paul says, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. God sent an angel to me. God told me we are going to be delivered. Believe me. Believe me. I mean, can you imagine the condition of everyone on board? I mean, for two weeks, they've hardly slept. They've hardly eaten. They've been on a ship that's rocking back and forth with no sign of letting up. And if you just think about that enough in your own mind, you can get seasick. Nothing but bad news for two weeks. They've given up hope. But then Paul speaks with a confident voice. Take heart. We're all going to make it. That's what God's angel has told me. He is going to save us. Believe me. And their salvation depended on believing this messenger of God. Of the 276 souls on board, only one is hopeful for a positive outcome. That's all it takes sometimes, though, is just one. One. One voice. Hope is like that. One of the most powerful messages we can give to the world is that there is a sovereign God, and because there is a sovereign God, there's hope in the midst of gloom, of darkness, and of storms, no matter what it might be that surrounds us. And we can communicate that in words, and we can communicate that in deeds. In his commentary on Acts, Ajith Fernando recounts a time when war was raging in the north of Sri Lanka. It says that the people had fallen into a state of hopelessness and despondency because of this, of this war. He said the roads were littered with filth and the yards of the homes had become shabby. There was a Youth for Christ leader there in northern Sri Lanka at that time named Suri Williams. And he decided that he was going to keep a happy and a beautiful home in spite of all the terror and all the confusion that surrounded them. And so he and his family carefully tended their flower plants, even though bombs were destroying many yards, and many others obviously had given up hope. What's the use? One day they decided that not only were they going to keep their yard clean, but they were also going to clean up the road outside their home. There was an Indian officer who was with a peacekeeping force there from a camp and nearby, and and he saw this being done, and so he challenged his soldiers to start a cleanup campaign of the roads that were near their camp. Neighbors then were also encouraged to improve the areas that surrounded their homes. And there in that setting, keeping a tidy home in a time of war became a symbolic act of hope. Surprising what one voice in a storm can accomplish. Paul also warns everyone you got to stay together. 
got to stay together. God, the message to Paul is this, you know, God has granted you all those who sail with you, but they needed to stay with Paul. They needed to do what he said. In verse 30, some of the sailors had another thing in mind. They were going to get in the, in the lifeboat as if they were going to go down and check the anchor, but their plan was to get in the lifeboat and take off. And Paul says this, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Paul was their hope. They listened to him because they needed to if they were going to be saved. They needed to listen to what he said. Then Paul urges everyone to eat. I mean, they needed the nourishment for strength. They haven't eaten much for two weeks. There is in this recounting of the story by Luke some familiar language. I think Luke is intentional in how he describes this scene For almost all the passengers, it was just some food that they needed to strengthen their bodies. Yes. But there in that storm, Paul remembered there was something more than just the salvation of the body, but the salvation of the soul. And so he publicly, he takes the bread before them all. He breaks the bread. He gives thanks, and he invites them to eat. Where have we heard that before? Now, this is not a formal, if you will, uh, what we would call observance of the Lord's Supper. Some call it Eucharist. Great word, just simply means giving a thanks. But there he is. And, and, and Luke, as he retells this, I think has some intent in the retelling of, of what Paul did and what Paul said. You see, in the New Testament, whenever Christians broke bread with one another, they were reminded of their salvation from Christ, that their life was in Christ, and that they had hope because of Christ. They didn't just do that when they came around the table in a worship service and took a little piece of bread and a, and a little drink of juice. Whenever they sat around a table and broke bread, they're saying, Christ is our life, Christ is our hope. There is more to our lives than just what's going on around us. And so there, Paul does what, what, what he would have done other places. There is, interestingly, throughout this episode, there is salvation language throughout this episode. And then, in verses 34 and 35, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival. This is your, it's our word, salvation. When he had said these things, he took the bread. He ate And they followed his example, and they began to eat. Now, for the passengers and crew, they were looking for salvation from the storm. But Paul saw a deeper salvation from sin and the ultimate storm of God's judgment. He didn't verbalize all that in that moment. But it's there as he brings the focus to Christ and the life that we have in Christ. And that salvation of which he was testifying was only in Jesus, who was the source of life, the nourishment of spiritual life, the source of all ultimate hope. Because there was a greater storm from which they needed to be saved, as is true with us. Most, don't, you know, most on that ship didn't see it, didn't understand it, doesn't matter, because Paul did. Paul did. So there before those 275 other crew and passengers, before eating, with winds howling, the boat battered, he's tired, he's hungry, he's weary. Paul lifted his hands and he led them all in a prayer of thanksgiving to God. 
And in doing so, he recognized Jesus. That Jesus was with him in the storm. That Jesus is the great savior of the soul. So what storms have you had in your life? What storms are you in even even now? How's it affecting you? What's your first reaction when the storm strikes? What's your initial emotional response to what's going on? What's the first thing you want to do? Can I encourage you to take a few moments to reflect on that? Write some things down, even in the coming week, as you head up to a special day of Thanksgiving. See, storms provide platforms for you to publicly thank God. Are you doing that? Church and guests, can I invite you back tonight? On this Lord's Day, 6 o'clock tonight? We're going to gather here in this room for a service of thanksgiving and praise. You know what a service of thanksgiving and praise is? It's a service in which we will give praise to God through song and we'll give praise and thanks to God in testimonies. We will speak of the good hand of the Lord. We will encourage each other that God is present. He is at work. He is providing. Whether or not you have on your list, you know, man, look at all these things that God gave me this passion. That's not, that's not what Thanksgiving is about. It's taking a moment and recognizing Jesus in your life. Jesus in your circumstances. The sufficiency of Christ. So tonight we're going to do that. Man, it'd be great to have you here with us. Because you probably have some things to share that would encourage others. You have some things to share that would glorify, that would glorify Christ. Would allow us to come alongside you and say, isn't God amazing? Storms provide platforms for you to publicly thank God. Storms create opportunities for you to proclaim the gospel. Are you ready to do that? This as, as Luke looks back, as he, as he chronicles this voyage, and, and then you set that voyage in, in the big story of Acts, in its own way, we have in the voyage of Paul in this shipwreck a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Storms create the opportunity for us to do that. Are you ready? Is Jesus... Your Savior. Or no. So let's thank God for storms. And here's a promise. Jesus is with you in it. Thank you, Father, for the assurance you give to us through your word, by your spirit, There's so much, Lord God, that you're doing all the time in us and around us that is worthy of noticing, that is worthy of speaking of, that is worthy of saying, isn't God good? Thank you. 
Thank you, Lord God, for what you have provided. Thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord God, for, for your truth. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. So thank you, Lord, for those things, even right now in our lives, that give us reason to pause. And even with winds howling around us and waves battering against the boat, and even on deck that probably was a bit unsettled and unstable, to be able to lift hands heavenward with what you had provided and say thank you. You are the sustainer of life. You are the giver of all that we need. You've given us Christ, our Savior. Christ, our sustainer. We have him. And if he is all we have, we have all we need. Father, seal this truth in our hearts. And wherein, wherein we're looking for something else, Lord, maybe, maybe the, the storms and the fear has, has caused our, our gaze to, to turn elsewhere. Turn us to Christ this morning. Lord, maybe there's a, maybe there's a tough situation that, that someone's facing right now, Lord, and they, they need your help in that situation. And I pray for that, but I ask, Lord, that you'd help them to see beyond the situation to you. They need you more than they need salvation from the dire circumstance. They need salvation from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, today bring them to that point, I pray. We will give you praise. We'll give you thanks. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we are going to draw our time to a conclusion by singing. We're going to sing of hope. But this is a chance to, for you to, to respond by giving testimony through what we sing, but also a, a chance for you to respond because maybe there's things that you need to settle with the Lord. Maybe you have never in your life, you have never called upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Oh, oh you, you, you've looked for him to help you through troubled circumstances, and that's good. But, but asking Jesus to help you through a tough situation is not the same thing as asking him to be your Savior. And if you've never done that, let this morning be the day that you call upon Christ to be your Savior from sin. Invite him in to bring life. He will save you. Right there where you're seated, but we would also count a privilege to help, to, to help you. And if you want to slip out and come to the front as we sing, we'll have someone go aside with you. And they will pray with you, and they will, they'll, they'll encourage you and seek to answer questions you might have as they point you to the Savior. You, you come and make that need known. And Christian, maybe there's some things that, that have sort of gotten jolted around in your life because of some storms. and maybe, maybe, maybe you need to come this morning and, again, either on your own here or have someone go aside with you and pray. That focus on Christ, that hope in Christ, that sufficiency of Christ might be your experience today. You respond as we sing. For your glory, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.